It's St. Patrick's Day, the first day of Men's March Madness, not counting the first four. And you got Spain and Fitz. I bet you got five screens, five Guinnesses, and Spain and Fitz, the sweet sound of Spain and Fitz in your ears. <laughs> it's, as Betty White once said, I wish I was drinking. Uh, but I'm here, and I'm excited for our show tonight. TSPN Radio, ESPN wait, App, you're Sirius not drinking? XM. Not Are we yet. supposed to wait? Oh, You're supposed to wait. My bad. I got enough sass without adding something, without adding sauce. That is, is fair. That is, I oh, got that's enough a sass shirt right there. without adding sauce. I saved that for afterwards. ESPN app, Sirius XM channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz hanging out with the ESPN radios presented by Progressive Insurance. We have a ton to get to today. There is a ton of sports news across the landscape, but we got to start with March Madness. Fitz, I, I made the mistake of saying on social media that my bracket was busted. It's not busted. I didn't have any of the teams that went down today going particularly far, but it was one of those where like I didn't even get to enjoy the first couple games without a red X right in the middle of my beautiful clean bracket. I thought South Dakota State was going to pull off the upset of Providence. They had that 21-game win streak. They're fire from outside. Providence had been in so many close games, whereas South Dakota State had been putting away teams. I thought they'd get a lead and run with it. So, alas, a red mark from the start. <laughs> well, look, don't feel bad, though. Like, I, I was talking to Lenardi a couple of days ago uh, for a feature they had on .com, and he went through all the games uh, quickly for the entire bracket, and he was high on South Dakota State. I think he actually mm. had them winning a couple of games, and he was like, hey, they're, they're going to surprise everybody. So you're not alone, and, you know, I did, I did a, a, a thing today with Jay Billis, and Jay said, just a reminder that, you know, he reminded everybody, I hadn't thought of this, that his title used to be color commentator because it was his job to come in and say, hey, Here's what I see, and here's why this is good. And now it's become his job to predict things. And if he could predict things accurately, <laughs> yeah. he'd be in Vegas. So would I. He'd like, if I could job, get the right? bracket right, I would own a small island, and I would not be talking to anybody ever. I'd just be sitting around like Scrooge McDuck in a huge bed of dollar bills. Like, that's what <laughs> I would be We're all doing, doing our best. That's a pretty, uh, you know what? That is a really nice attitude for you to have for me and all of our listeners as we're about to go through what is going to be a lot longer than just a couple days of pain as we watch the Things go down. South Dakota State did not get the upset, but the Richmond Spiders did. The Richmond Spiders, a number 12, upsetting number 5 Iowa. And Fitz, obviously, we can have the conversation about how the Big Ten just does not perform up to expectations come postseason. But that's still a 12 beating a 5 that I also did not have in my bracket. Yeah, now that's the one that started to give me some grief and aggravation today. And you're right. It, you know, for Iowa, you're talking about a team that, and this is true, I think, for a lot of the teams out of the Big Ten, sometimes they just can't hit the broad side of a barn. Like, there, there was just, uh, I've watched a lot of Big Ten basketball this year, and the number of times I've seen good teams play awful or awful teams play really well, I can't understand it. And that's why. I wouldn't be surprised to see a Big Ten team go all the way. I wouldn't be surprised to see them all eliminated in the first two rounds because I don't know if they all suck or if they're all just beating each other and iron sharpens iron. Yeah, because meantime, you've got a number 11 seed in Michigan that I think most people had as the favorite against Colorado State ever, anyway, but they, they won. Technically, that's an upset right off the top. An 18-14 and 14 team taking down the, the six-seeded 25-6 and six Rams. Um, but again, to your point, there are so many holes early on in that Michigan game. Turnover city. They had absolutely no control. They obviously cleaned it up, but there's a lot of question marks on those Big Ten teams. In the meantime, we've got uh, a couple games that have just gotten under 
underway. Obviously, y'all know where to find them, and you all have. I think uh, Tracy Morgan is the face that you get now for the boss alert. If you uh, if you're if you have a, a, a screensaver that you got up in case your boss catches you watching. Uh, we're at six o'clock my time here, so most people hopefully have have left the office and are firmly uh, beer in hand watching those games. New Mexico State UConn is underway right now. You know what we were keeping an eye on as we started the show, Fitz, is that Gonzaga game. It ended up being a very respectable 93-72 win over the 16-seed Georgia State, but that was way too tight, a two-point game at the half. Yeah, and, and I keep looking at that thinking all that did was give all of the doubters a little bit more fuel because at one point in that game, they were being outscored, Gonzaga was, 16-5 to on second point, uh, second chance points, I should say. And it spoke to the fact that they were being out-hustled and out-worked underneath. And, and the reason this Gonzaga team was supposed to be different than the last few years was because of their ability to protect the rim and their ability to get to the rim. There were times that they showed that, but there were times that they just absolutely looked like they were being out-hustled. I, I, I understand that a one comes in to a 16 and feels like they've got it, but there's an unusual amount of pressure, I think, on this Gonzaga team because we know every year they seem to get close and don't get it done, and this year they've got a couple mm-hmm. of guys that are supposed to be able to get them over the hump. So I think there's a sneaky amount of pressure under to Gonzaga. This better be a wake-up call because they didn't play well enough to win it all today. I actually have been wondering why so much hate for Gonzaga. I put out my annual reminder to people that it's Gonzaga, not Gonzaga. The Zags, not the Zogs is an easy way to remember. Uh, we zig and we zag. We do not zog. But so many people responded, who cares? I'll call them what I want. I hate them, etc. And I've been wondering. In fact, my buddy Reese Waters said, costing me that minus 22 and a half topped off my anti-Gonzaga energy for the rest of eternity. Um, I've seen a lot of people. I kind of want to ask that. And I don't know if you've got feedback, but we'll put it up at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Why do you hate Gonzaga? To me, it's about not recognizing that they're no longer an upstart. They've been in it so many years in a row. You could be frustrated if you're a fan and they haven't finished and won it all, but like, why do so so many people hate what I think is is kind of a cool story of a program that's become a, a regular competitor. Gonzaga. Yeah, and I feel there's some level of Gonzaga to me, Sarah, that is, you know, A, it's what every program should want to be, but, but B, I think when you combine the fact that they play on the West Coast, they play late, they don't play in a conference that a lot of people have a lot of love for, so it just becomes easy when they don't finish to look at it and say, oh, it's a Gonzaga problem. And it's funny because we give Kansas all the benefit and the doubt of the doubt, you know, even though they haven't always had the tournament success of late that they want to have. We just don't do that for Gonzaga. I'm surprised for the for the hate for it when I would I would think the more appropriate emotion would just be indifference. Like if, if you're not right. big into West Coast Maybe basketball. Maybe they bust just, the brackets. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe oh, the point is point. these are people who every year are like, I guess this is the year for Gonzaga, and then they never come through. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz talking more. March Madness as the start of the men's tourney comes starts in, in full today with games uh, just up and down the slate. We got, uh, I didn't mention, um, I think that, uh, no, I did mention pretty much all the big ones for today. Um, uh, Memphis got a good win today, too. I'm, yeah. I'm high on, mm-hmm. I'm big on this Memphis team. So I will just say Memphis really talented. They came in uh, as one of the best, uh, they came in with the number one recruiting class in the country. Took them a long time to put it together. I have not been a huge fan of some of the way Penny Hardaway has handled business overall for mm-hmm. Memphis over the last couple of years. But man, they've got a lot of talent and that talent is starting to come together and play really well so you know I'll be really interested to see the matchup and styles that we're going to get in the next round because Memphis does have the opportunity to turn around and and really uh improve themselves at the highest possible level with Gonzaga next 
And speaking of 8-9 matchups, North Carolina making that look like a much wider seed difference. 95-63 over Marquette. An absolute beatdown. Uh, that one wasn't even close. Uh, we wanted to ask you, as, as we were thinking about this, and actually, we were talking about this during the day today, Fitz, and I mentioned to you, this is one of those magical days. It's St. Patrick's Day and the first full day of the Men's March Madness, and it reminded me of other great days where you get that combo platter of sports and something you love. For instance, say Thanksgiving plus NFL games. So we wanted to put it out there and see what suggestions you might have. In the meantime, I saw that Obvious Shirts, which is one of my guys here in Chicago and does tons of of attire for sports teams, had the Cubs all outfitted with best day ever, St. Patrick's Day, March Madness, uh, as a warm-up before their uh, spring training game today. So a lot of people were on the same wavelength about the magic of this combo. We want to ask you what other days can compete. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save and switch, or switch and save with Progressive, save over <laughs> $700 on average. I'm Ron Burgundy. Uh, we're going to talk NFL offseason. The QB carousel we've always asked for might be here. It's next. Every year we look forward to the drama that comes in the NBA offseason. In fact, I'd argue that the offseason drama often is more interesting than the in-season drama of many years in the NBA. But what do we do now when the NFL's decided they want in on the soap opera? Because that is what we are getting this year particularly, and it has taken another level with Baker Mayfield. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. And, and look, Baker Mayfield was going to be in the news one way or the other. That became pretty obvious when it, the Browns decided they wanted to have a conversation with Deshaun Watson. Now, you know, they wanted to go in and just at least uh, feel the whole thing out. Baker finds out, and Baker wasn't happy about it, which led to a social media statement from Baker. But more importantly, now Baker Mayfield has requested a trade, and mm. that puts everybody in a weird situation, Sarah, because he said, I want a trade, and the Browns said, cool, people in hell want ice water. You're not getting one. This is not going to be a pretty situation. It's not pretty, and, and, and the complications start when things go public, whether that's on the behalf of, of, of the team or Baker, right? As much as I understood maybe that the impetus for putting out that statement was to say no matter what happens, here's how I feel, you'll know that this is not a reaction to the decision the team makes. This is how I feel because it's coming before any move is made. That, unfortunately, complicated things because it was public. You had the Mort report that the Browns said they wanted a quote unquote adult quarterback at the, mm. a, a, and they were, they were breaking up regardless of whether Deshaun Watson worked out that the thing that he was told was that it wasn't a match emotionally Baker's passion and emotional leadership were embraced where he was in college. And at the beginning with the Browns, they liked it, but they've changed. And now they quote want an adult at the position. Here's the problem. You whiff on Deshaun. You may not be in a position to be able to vie for someone like Matt Ryan if Deshaun goes to Atlanta and they're looking to ship him. Um, and now you could be left with Baker, who you're now telling, I'm not going to acquiesce, we're not going to trade you. And now it's out publicly that you've said those things about him being immature, emotionally not the guy you're looking for. Which, by the way, can I just point out that you don't want a passionate, emotional you know, guy who's deeply invested like Baker, but you really wanted Deshaun Watson, who, if allegations are true, is essentially like a psychopath and is emotionless. 
That's, I, I, I mean, mean it, and, 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 and he's a quote unquote adult who's going to handle things better. That's that's a wild proposition to me. I mean, I'll get to some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Maybe they just want an adult because adults know how to handle the massage parlor. I, I, I mean, I'm just I'm throwing shade all over this. But at some point, I have to look at it and say, what the hell are the Browns thinking in the way that they're handling this? And you mentioned going public with it. Well, as awkward as conversations can be, and, you know, I, I can jokingly say Sarah's wanted a, you know, an actual adult as a co-host for a while now, <laughs> but that's just not happening, right? But at least if you're going to, like, let's use this as an example. If Sarah decides that she's going to go out and look around, just, you know, look around and see on the landscape if there's a co-host she'd rather have than me. One right. of the things that you have to do in that situation is you got to talk to me and you got to talk to me beforehand and say, look, I'm doing this and I just want you to know what the whole process is. It, it may make you uncomfortable, but at least I can look at it and say, OK, I know where you're coming from. It feels like the minute this went public, my first thought was, did they not have a private conversation beforehand? Because if you didn't, you you got to know what's going to come out. Right. Like everybody knows you, you're not sitting down with Deshaun Watson without the entire world finding out so for the Browns to find out uh, or, or for the Browns to be found out I should say and Baker seems so surprised on it just to me sort of speaks to like what the hell were they doing beforehand and now they're in this weird situation where maybe they have a quarterback maybe they don't maybe they can solve this maybe they can't and if they can't what else are they going to do I mean I, yep. how, how are the Browns going to be better this year I don't I don't see an easy answer for that Fitz, I would tell you, I'd be shocked that they didn't talk to him beforehand, but we saw what we heard from Bobby Wagner, who's one of the greatest Seahawks players of all time, mm. that he found out on social media he'd been released by the team, that they didn't bother to tell him. So the, these teams, or in fact, you know, what, what we're talking about with the potential of, of the Falcons just knocking Matt Ryan out in favor of Deshaun Watson, despite the connection that that team and that player have had for such a long time. This is a business. And we don't always see it handled right. And to that point, Lewis Riddick on, on SportsCenter talked about how the Browns just should have come forward and had it straight with Baker, and they themselves should have been adults. I think we have that, Riddick. Andrew Barry, the GM, and Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, should have been open and honest with Baker about the fact that maybe they were going to go down this road in the first place and explore whether or not Deshaun Watson was a possibility for them. Because that way there are no there, – there, there's nothing that's being hidden. There's nothing that Baker can be surprised about. There's no need then for him to go ahead and pen some kind of Instagram message that right now sounds like a goodbye. You, know, you don't want to fracture relationships like that, and you want to show people the kind of respect that they deserve, especially when you're talking about a guy like Baker who really has put it on the line for this he football has. team. He's played hurt for this football team. It may not be exactly what you want, and they have a right to go ahead and move on from him if they want to and try and upgrade the position. But just do it the right way. Don't have him finding out from us. Mm -hmm. I mean, that all makes so much sense, but it, it just raises questions to the ability to communicate. And that's something that I think every organization has to be able to have top to bottom. you got to be able to have awkward conversations, got to be able to have real conversations. I remember you and I on the show a while back had Logan Ryan, who today was cut by the Giants, on the show. And I remember asking him at the time about Joe Judge and what stood out to Joe Judge, who obviously no longer there. But he said the thing that he loved about Joe is that he could sit down and face-to-face -face have a real conversation with him. And I think players respect that at some level. Players, you know, and, and Michael Luke Jr. used to always say this, uh, you know, about playing in the league, that you're used to the fact that at some point you're going to get bad news. The question is, how's the bad news going to be delivered? And that's where everything sort of went haywire in this process. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz giving you some straight talk. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. The other big straight talk in the NFL today 
has to be about the Saints having a meeting with Deshaun Watson and, you know, all this Deshaun Watson fervor happening, whether it's in Cleveland or the New Orleans. But here's what blew my mind there, Sarah. Like, we spent all this time talking about the salary cap, and I'm looking at a Saints team that, like, a week ago was $80 million over the cap, and now suddenly they've magically found the $30 million that would allow them to, to sign Deshaun Watson. Like, can we just admit now the salary cap's a complete and utter joke and we should never work? Like, any GM that tells you that they're hamstrung by the salary cap just doesn't want to deal with that player anymore. I mostly agree with you. I think the issue is that you can kick the can down the road, but at some point you will have to pay up. Right, So right now, they restructured Taysom Hill, Bradley Roby, DeMario Davis, and Malcolm Jenkins, leaving them with almost $30 million in cap space and have the opportunity to make more moves that would allow them to free up even more. So right now, they absolutely are restructuring in a way, but that means that they put a lot of that money up front to those players, and eventually those restructures can affect future decision-making and salary cap space. It just means that right now they think that they can make a move that's big enough that it's worth that pain that comes later. Also interesting, Taysom Hill, who is so thankful that his deal came up before Sean Payton left, as Sean Payton seems to be the only person that thinks he's a starting quarterback, is one of the people who restructured in the effort to make room for a guy who is looking to replace him, which is an interesting situation. Uh, But yeah, I mean, the Saints, for many, are the front runner now because... They offer a better situation and a win-now situation for Deshaun over what the Falcons can offer, but he's a young enough guy that you can have a long runway, and if he feels like the relationship with the Falcons is better or that's a better place for him to be essentially going home and might be better received there, um, those are all going to be decisions. And Fitz, it is pretty fascinating that we've gotten to the point where despite 22 looming civil cases and a high potential for a serious punishment in the form of suspension – Deshaun Watson is still completely in the driver's seat here as uh, as far as all accounts concerned. Yeah, and the craziest part about that is, oh, well, not the craziest, one of the crazy parts about that, let me correct myself immediately, is that the league still hasn't made any ruling on how, how long their suspension, if any, will be. To your point, we have no idea. Whoever ends up acquiring Deshaun Watson may be acquiring a player that still has plenty of civil issues to deal with and also may have a multi-game suspension, and we're just all pretending like that doesn't mm-hmm. matter. That player still has the leverage? That's shocking to me, right. Sarah. He's- and also, fits really quickly, if the allegations are true, then he is a serial predator, and history will tell you that those people do not stop behaving in that manner simply because they've been caught. And Which that is, is something all- that these teams need to actually pay attention to and not ignore. All the more reason that doing nothing right now on Deshaun Watson is not a bad thing. For everybody that wants something to get done, taking the time to get every piece of information is actually the smart strategy. So, how should we absorb everything going on with Deshaun Watson right now? We'll talk to somebody next that's been killing it, reporting it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Going to get to our guest, but Adam Schefter just tweeted... That Devontae Adams is headed to Fitz's Raiders. Oh, my God. are you okay? I've got goosebumps. I don't have hair on my arms. I shaved them for my tattoos. Thank you very much. But if I did, they'd be standing up. The hair on my, well, you're welcome. The hair on my legs is standing up. Oh, Oh my my God. God. This is, I, 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 I will say this quickly because we've got more important things to talk about. But this makes sense. The Raiders have been reworking contracts for the last two weeks. To do what has been the question. This answers the what. Derek Carr reunited with Devontae Adams. Sorry, Rodgers. Oh, my gosh. Okay, the NFL news, it's fast and furious, and we will keep you updated. Uh, Shout out to my uh, probably sad uh, nieces, 
Hayden and Harper, my my sister-in-law, brother-in-law up in Wisconsin. Uh, wow, things are getting things are getting weird for the pack up there. Um, okay, we'll get to we'll get to that in just a minute. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, and elated Jason Fitz, who will need to calm down for the rest of the show here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN Not app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, we need to switch gears though. We were just talking about this, and Fitz, I have so many questions about both sides of Deshaun Watson's attempted return to playing football. We are hearing almost entirely one side of it, and one of the people that is been giving us great reporting to understand the totality of the story is New York Times sports reporter Jenny Vrentas, who's joining us now. Jenny, thanks so much for the time. Yeah, thanks for having me on tonight. You've done such a fantastic job. I really, really uh, got a lot out of your conversation with Mina Kimes on the Mina Kimes pod featuring Lenny, um, but wanted to have you on and ask you some more about the situation. And one of those uh, pieces of the story that I think has rarely been discussed is that in your reporting, you actually found a fair amount of corroborating information and evidence uh, to the claims uh, that these women are alleging against Deshaun Watson. And I find that that rarely gets brought up in these conversations. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, thanks so much, Sarah. And I think that's exactly right. Um, We've been talking about this, and it's one part of the process gets pulled out and held up as the end-all, be-all. But I think there are a lot of facts and information to consider here. And through my reporting, I found corroborating uh, information for two of the accounts. And that's not to say that, uh, you know, I just can't speak beyond what I've seen specifically. Um, of course, all 24 of the accounts describe similar behaviors, a similar pattern, and, you know, firsthand testimony of the person who was in the situation. That is information and evidence collecting for law enforcement itself. But for two of the accounts, there is additional corroborating information that I've seen Uh among the, those things, uh, so I wrote a story about a woman that we referred to by the pseudonym Mary who had an appointment with Deshaun Watson in 2019, and she described that he behaved inappropriately toward her during the session, uh, thrusting his hips while on the table. She noticed what she later believed to be pre-ejaculate on his stomach. Uh, he invited her to touch and grab his penis, which she declined to do. Um but after the fact, he, he tried to book with her again, not realizing that it was the same person. Uh, she told him in messages, I only do massage, and that she he had made her uncomfortable in the original appointment. She also told the person who had set up the appointment, which was another veteran therapist, uh, some of what had happened. And the person who set up the appointment said that only one person – he hasn't said that he made them uncomfortable and, you know, whether the creepy stuff is his intention or not, he does it every time. And that woman, Mary, was not a plaintiff. She uh, was not working with Tony Busby. Hers was just a totally separate account. I I found her on my own and she wanted to speak up to share corroborating information or to support the other woman's claims, rather. Uh, And Ashley Solis's account, uh, additionally, I've seen corroborating information for a message exchange sent by one of her colleagues the day after Ashley Solis's appointment. And Solis was the first plaintiff. She was the first woman to file a lawsuit, and she's kind of the one who got all of this started. Uh, And in that message, her colleague reaches out to a veteran massage therapist who actually was the same person who set up Mary's appointment. Uh, And she said a colleague of mine was solicited in an at-home, in a session in her at-home studio by a professional athlete, and she doesn't know what to do, essentially. Uh, Later in the exchange, 
it was revealed that that was Ashley Solis, and the date, of course, matched her appointment with Watson. So there are other messages and other information I'm sure that the plaintiffs will be bringing forward. Um, but those are two that I reviewed on my own, separate from the legal process, uh, messages that I've seen firsthand. So I could speak to those directly. Jenny, and by the way, you've done a great job. I, I found myself reading so much of your stuff just to get insight and better information. So thanks for the great work you've done on this. I, I guess as we look at the league and teams that are reaching out to Deshaun Watson and talking to him, have you been able to get any sense of if teams or the league have reached out to any of these victims? So I spoke with Tony Busby on Tuesday evening, which was after the depositions and two more of the civil suits. And he said at that point, uh, no teams had reached out to him. Uh, no teams had asked to speak to the plaintiffs. Um, and, you know, I think that's an important piece of this. Um, perhaps the plaintiffs wouldn't want to speak to a team, but you should make the ask. You should certainly reach out to their counsel and try to collect facts. You know, a lot of times we hear teams, and we're certainly going to hear this once the, the trade is complete, wherever he's traded to, that we did our due diligence. We vetted the situation thoroughly. But rarely do teams actually provide specifics on what that entails. Um, and we know that teams have been speaking to Watson and meeting with him directly, and I'm sure hearing from his defense team. But if you really want to assess the situation, you should try to hear from both sides. Um, and you should try to collect information on your own. You know, as, as I referenced, there is corroborating information for some of these accounts. And so that is part of the fact-finding that teams should be doing. Yeah, Jenny, this is something we cover so many times in cases like this. If you remember, Jameis Winston, part of the quote-unquote vetting that was done during his draft was they, they said we've spoken to over 40-plus people. None of those people was the alleged victim. They were all coaches and friends, and that so often is what we find later is that the quote-unquote vetting process is simply hearing what you want to hear from the people closest to the person and then being very uh, uh, non-transparent with the public when follow-ups are given. And I think that's going to be a real challenge here is that the media so often – is willing to follow up with whatever team uh, Deshaun Watson ends up with, demanding the transparency of why they felt comfortable moving forward. And we very rarely get honest or educated answers on that. Is there any way for us as the media to hold teams more accountable in these situations, understanding that their best interest is simply to try to brush it under the rug and keep it moving? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's a really great question. By the time the media has a chance to question these decision makers uh, in theory that trade will already have been done. But I think right. we should be asking, can you be specific, not accept, you know, firsthand what vetting was done? I mean, this came up with the Bucks as well with Antonio Brown. And, you know, when they signed him, there was an ongoing civil lawsuit. Um, a former tra trainer said he had raped her and there were, you know, additional sexual misconduct allegations and, when I pressed the Buccaneers for information on what their vetting entailed, they kind of backed off and, and got flustered at the questions that I was asking. And to me, that's just a simple thing. If, if you're going to put out there that you've done vetting and you've done your due diligence, we in the media shouldn't just accept that yeah, you say ready. you've done it. We should right. ask you what that actually entailed. And I think the other piece of it that's interesting, too, is because – he has a no trade clause and has to waive that for the deal to be done. This has turned into a, a very different situation. It's, it's become essentially a bidding war. And 
So you do wonder, these teams are almost courting him and hoping he chooses them. You wonder what kind of questions they're asking him and are they asking him tough questions in these conversations to try to actually get the, you know, his perspective on what happened. Are they challenging him to see if he's, you know, open to rehabilitation or working to change some of the behaviors that are alleged or are those topics being glossed over? Hey, Jenny, let me uh, real quick. I know we got to let you go, but uh, there's so much conversation about teams could just maybe wait and see this process and how long it plays out. Do you have any sense on how much longer it would take before all of the information from the civil suits had played out? Well, I think the civil court process is slow and can take a long time. I believe there's a pretrial conference later this spring. Um, but the reality is with 22 civil suits, and at this point, I, I, my understanding is none of the plaintiffs want to pull out and there haven't been uh, additional settlement conversations like there were before the trade deadline. Of course, they could be settled at any point in time. But let's say they go forward and the plaintiffs go to trial. I mean, there's 22 of these cases. It could take a long time to move through the legal system. But, you know, it's interesting that we don't even consider that as a possibility, right? It's, it's, we hear a lot of discussion like, well, you know, he has to move on with his football career and teams want to sign him now because he's a talented quarterback. But what if the process, what if we slowed things down and, and waited to see a resolution or waited to see what additional information came out? Or, or what if the idea of a second chance meant that the person had to earn a second chance, that they had to show contrition and work. And again, he hasn't been charged with anything and he's denied any wrongdoing. Um, But at the very least, some of the behaviors that are out there, you would want to know that he would address directly and perhaps be open to some kind of rehabilitation work. Yeah. Yeah, Jenny, I mean, at the very least, you have to believe that all of the women are lying and that it is a very normal thing for a professional athlete to seek out the massage treatment of 30 plus, however many we haven't heard from uh, people. All the behaviors are, are, are not quite fitting. We didn't even have time to get into the fact that I had forgotten about Gail Benson getting uh, criticized for helping the Archdiocese of New Orleans spin PR on their sexual abuse scandal. And of course, she is among those who met with Deshaun Watson and will be making decisions around his potential of playing for the Saints. It's all quite complicated. Jenny, we really appreciate the work on this. Thank you so much for giving us some time. Thanks, Jenny. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You can follow her at Jenny Vrentis on Twitter and keep following with her reporting. Did you know you can listen to Spain and Fitz commercial free? You can listen to all your favorite ESPN radio shows and much more without the ads on TuneIn, the best audio app for sports fans. Just download the TuneIn app to get started. Fitz is losing his mind. We are going to talk about Devontae Adams to the Raiders next. I've never hidden my fandom. I've never hidden the fact that a major part of why I do what I do every single day is my love of the Raiders. It started as the L.A. Raiders. It became the Oakland Raiders. And then by some glorious synergy, the Raiders moved to the town that I was born in and the city that I still love the most, Las Vegas. So Las Vegas and the Raiders 
give me all of the feels. And I wish that I was uh, grown enough to understand why I get so emotional with everything that happens for this team. But today has suddenly become a very good day, not just for me, but for Raiders fans everywhere. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and Sarah, we're sitting on air. We're getting ready to come back from a commercial a few minutes ago, and as we're coming back from the commercial, producer extraordinaire Devin says, oh my God, did you see the news? Devontae Adams (laughs) is now going to the Raiders. And somehow, you know, we managed to keep it together, and we managed to to get through, uh, Mm. but I, I... I'm not sure I can continue to, but we tried so far. Man, social media is absolutely blowing up. And our own Jen Latta, who we often have on to talk about the Packers, just wrote, you can't pay everybody. Devontae Adams isn't everybody. And listen, I understand that this was a really difficult conversation that they were having. I understand that he wanted a long-term deal. He definitely didn't want to play on the franchise tag, that they were going to have to make some changes around payroll because of uh, Rodgers, even though he renegotiated or at least negotiated in order to make the cap hit a little lower. But I I absolutely did not think that Devonta Adams would be playing for another team this year. I thought for sure they would work it out. This is, in my mind, the most significant signing that the Raiders have had in a generation, and it will be the most significant signing for the next generation. And it's not just because of what it does for them on the field. It's also because of what it does for them in the billboard. And We've talked a lot about it. When you are playing in a new city like Las Vegas, this is a new city for the NFL. What did the Rams do to go out and win their return to Los Angeles? They went all in. What are we seeing the Chargers do right now? They're going all in. This is the Raiders going all in, saying not only are we now going to have an offense, it includes Derek Carr throwing to Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, and now Devontae Adams with Josh Jacobs as their running back. Not only do we have that offense, we have Chandler Jones and Max Crosby on the defensive side of the ball. The Raiders have looked around and said, we need dynamic people, personalities, and players that can be billboards that sell tickets, that generate interest, and they get generational interest in a team. That's what this does Mm -hmm. because now the Raiders are tough to stop every single week. Now the Raiders are not the worst team in their division, and you don't have to sell hope with their coaching staff. You can sell hope with the actual players that are lining up on the field. This is substantial for the Raiders, not just in their win-loss total today, but for the way people in Las Vegas wear Raiders gear in a decade. Yeah, I mean, Fitz, the the superstar power, the offensive firepower, especially understanding that this is a division that is going to be absolutely stacked. We were joking with you when the show started about how does it feel to have the fourth best team in the division and 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 the fourth best quarterback, but you're putting together quite a hefty group to compete with some really I mean, you look at what they, they almost had to make a move this big with what we've seen the Broncos do and the Chargers and, I mean, obviously the Chiefs every year. Yeah, and that's what's going to be interesting because according to some reports, it's 28 and a quarter million dollars a year on Woo-hoo-hoo! average. It is a massive number. And Derek Carr is playing in the last year of his contract currently with the expectation that they're likely to get a new deal done. So, you know, to Jen Latta's point that you can't pay everybody, well, the Raiders just gave massive money to Chandler Jones. They've given massive money to Max Crosby. Now they've given massive money to Devontae Adams. There is an expectation that I think they're going to re-sign Derek Carr, and they've got to figure out new contracts for Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller. So, like, the, the, the money side of it is mm. interesting, but that's what you have to do if you're looking around and saying, well, Patrick Mahomes is here, and Justin Herbert is here, and Russell Wilson is here, and guess what? All of these superstars are going to be difficult to defend, and you don't want your fan base to feel like they've lost before they even got out of the gates. 
It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Jason freaking out about Devontae yes. Adams getting traded to the Raiders. You mentioned the money. That would make him the NFL's highest paid non-quarterback. Now, the other side of things is the reaction that is taking over Twitter. And if you are on Twitter, I'd recommend... I'm trying to retweet as many as I can see, but people are getting their takes off, and it is good It is good content, especially for a Bears fan that is imagining Aaron <laughs> Rodgers listening to all of this. Now, Ian Rappaport rapported that while Aaron Rodgers was negotiating his contract, he knew Devontae Adams would never play for the Packers again. The situation was too far gone. Something had to give, and when Adams informed Green Bay he was not playing on the tag, talks got fired up. Is, that, that is wild to me. Fits. It is wild to me knowing that if you remember that gratitude Instagram post where Rogers was missing in the middle with Devante, um, the 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 idea that that was his guy, the idea that the rate the the Packers have a tendency to under deliver in terms of weapons at least per Aaron Rodgers' opinion. How is he happy coming back simply because he has money and control? Is this truly a guy? that doesn't care about winning, that doesn't care about legacy, because it sure feels like that. And as much as you don't want to take away anybody's money, and he certainly earned it, and he is incredibly talented, you look at what Tom Brady has been able to accomplish because of his willingness to take less and be able to save more for those around him. If Aaron Rodgers took that deal, knowing that it might hamstring the Packers from being able to keep him. Now, maybe the point was, we're not going to keep him no matter what, so we don't need this money to try to get him. But man, and this feels like a guy who truly is some of the worst things people have said about him in terms of selfishness and desire to just get the bag and have control and and not really take responsibility for the fact that it's going to be hard to put talent around him. Some people, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, to that point, you know, I, I think we all know Tom Brady's all about winning, right? And when winning comes now that he's had the respect that he feels he earns. Some people get their value in, in money and some people get their value in how they're viewed and some people get their value in accomplishments like it's so different and to your point I, I really feel like what Aaron Rodgers is showing us here is that he feels that his work gets respected when it is respected with money and that is that's one way of looking at it but certainly if you're Aaron Rodgers what's hard for me to understand is if you're turning around and complaining about the fact that your front office and your organization year after year after year doesn't get you weapons and then you have one of the best weapons in the league mm -hmm. and you put yourself in a contractual situation that you know specifically won't allow your team to keep the weapon that you need the most yeah I don't know how you can then complain to Gutekunst about what he's giving you when if you've got somebody in the room and they walk because of your contract you got to look in the mirror a little bit on this yeah, 100% Vince, and I've been saying this all along. He wanted the control and he got it, but he also got a ton of money and he made things more difficult for the team. At this point, any excuses are on him. He cannot blame them for not putting enough around him. He cannot blame them for roster construction, even if he disagrees with some of it, because in the end, he is putting them in positions to make very difficult decisions and he could decide to prioritize winning and he hasn't. Now, again, he could take the bag if he wants, but then there are no excuses. Yeah, that's going to be the interesting thing. No excuses going into next year because there will be expectations for the Packers and the Raiders. All right, the GOAT Sue Bird is going to join us next. We'll check out uh, some of the WNBA action. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, and an elated 
Jason Fitz, who is still recovering from the fact that Devontae Adams has been traded from the Packers to the Raiders. We'll get back to that news. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Raiders, presented by Progressive Insurance. Get a business insurance quote online in as little as six minutes. Visit ProgressiveCommercial.com. So happy to welcome in a friend of the show, one of our faves, Sue Bird, who we're going to talk to about some March Madness stuff, her thoughts on UConn and the changes to the tourney this year. But we got to start with the honor of surprising the Gatorade Basketball Player of the Year. And I just want to ask, um, when you walk in, first of all, how exciting is it when Sue Bird walks into anywhere that you are and then to find out that you're earning this honor? So tell us all about surprising her and, and what, went, what went down. Um, it was super cute. Um, it was on zoom cause you know, here we are in zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was on zoom. So I think I'm assuming my face was just like really big on some screen when they walked in the room and they were probably like, wait, what the hell is going on? Um, but you could see their reactions right away. And the cool part was I got to kind of come across, like I was just saying congrats for like being amazing and for being state champs and for Kiki for being state Gatorade player of the year. So then I got to hit her with the surprise of being national. And honestly, I think my favorite part was yes, her reaction, but her team's reaction. I mean, they were like jumping all around her, like super hype. I think that actually speaks to Kiki and kind of like the impact she's having, not, not just on the court, but off the court as well. When you think about being the Gatorade player of the year in general, like what does that honor mean in your mind? Um, it's like elite, you're an elite company. Um, I could name names. It's like Candace Parker, Maya Moore. I, I am not on that list. And it, so, you know, like to be an honest, oversight to be sure. Yeah, to be sure. Um, but it's kind of like, dang, I'm not even on this list. And I feel like I've done okay in my life. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a really elite list. And I think when you're in high school, it, it, it means a lot. It, it really is saying a lot. You're like, you're just starting your life. You don't even realize it, but you're like just starting this career. So to start with a bang, being national player of the year is, is pretty dope. Sue Bird is with us. And uh, next time we see that long list of accomplishments, which we, uh, we, we often see for Sue Bird of everything she's ever won. I'm actually just going to add at the top, not Gatorade national player of the year, <laughs> just for the, just for humility's yeah. sake. I think everybody needs that every once in a while. Let's talk about back in the day, uh, you know, March Madness is getting underway. Um, what's your fondest or most pronounced memory from tourney runs? Oh man. Um, I mean, obviously the winning, but I would be, I think I'd be lying. Um, (laughs) I'd be lying um, if I didn't say the winning, but truthfully, we lost in just awful dramatic fashion my junior year. And that to this day is the worst loss of of my career. It just really burns. Um, I think everybody's probably happy because had we won that, I think UConn would have gone on to win like six in a row. So I'm sure the rest of the world was happy when we lost. but for those, like I said, that was my junior year. It was tough. I, I can't help every time I watch any March Madness, think about pressure in general, because it's so much on kids. Like, how do you manage that level of pressure, especially like at a place like UConn, where there's only one result that's acceptable? Right. Um, that's very true. Um, if you don't make the Final Four even, it's like, oh, you guys suck. Um, so the way, when I was in school, they just made our lives so difficult every day. And like the pressure you felt in practice, you know, was probably worse than you were ever going to see in a game. And I, and I think our coaching staff like set it up that way. So when you got to the big stage, you were like already ready. You're like, oh, this is nothing compared to what I just had to deal with for the last six months. Um, so that was kind of how they approached it. And it worked because once we got to, you know, once you kind of walk at the final four, once you walk into this 
at the time, my senior year, it was at the Alamo Dome. So you walk in, you're like, holy crap. But it still didn't feel as, as tough or as hard or as, as like pressure filled as it did every day walking into practice. Sue Bird is with us here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz, fresh off surprising Kiki Rice with the Gatorade National Girls Basketball Player of the Year Award. Um, you mentioned the coaching staff. I mean, Gino's a special fella and he's gotten a lot out of his players. Uh, what's your reaction to early in the season? He dogs everyone on that team except for Paige and tells us that they're the most stubborn and untalented group he's ever had. Then Paige comes back from injury. AZ FUD's looking good. Team wins the Big East. And he's like, all those people who said we were nothing without Paige. And I'm like, that was you. That was you who said that. Is this all just his crazy mind-bending psycho tricks to get everybody at their best for the tournament? Probably. Yeah. I mean, I think all of us have a story where we were told we're the worst player in the country. I know Rebecca famously has one where he literally every day told her she was the worst player and the worst post <laughs> player in the country. The worst Rebecca Lobo. The yeah. She's uh, yeah. notoriously terrible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think pretty much, honestly, if you haven't been told you're the worst and you've gone to Connecticut, you were doing something wrong. You were actually doing something wrong in some weird way. Um, so that is, I mean, even like Brianna Stewart, who ends up being a four-time national champion, a four-time, I think, most valuable player of the tournament, yeah. like unprecedented. Her freshman year was a nightmare. He just like was pulling her in game. Everybody has a story. So yes, this is like part of the shtick. Do any of the women that are playing like reach out to you to figure out how to, to deal with that? Not everybody responds to that, that type of coaching well. Yeah, I mean, no, they don't. I think they're probably, <laughs> they have our numbers. I'm sure they're just, I mean, when I think about it, I'm like, was, was I going to text? You know, Rebecca Lobo. Well, there was no texting. Was I going to telegram <laughs> Rebecca Lobo? Probably not. Dial by um, spinning a circle multiple yeah, times. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, they don't. Um, and I feel like kids, it's different nowadays. You know, you actually talked about pressure two seconds ago. One thing I forgot to mention is like social media. Like that didn't exist mm. when I was in college, thankfully, nor did camera phones, thankfully. Um, so it's different nowadays. Memes. Uh, yeah, all of it. All of it. <laughs> all of it. Uh, Seattle Storm superstar goat Sue Bird, who is coming back for another year. Thank God, because I told her she's never allowed to retire. You're kind of like my dog. And I mean that in the best possible way. Every day I look at him, I go, you're never going to die. You're not allowed to die <laughs> because I'm so worried. I'm like, Sue's never allowed to leave us, uh, either in, in death or in retiring. This got really morbid. Sue, you were just talking yeah. about how yeah. things are so different for the players. And I'm thinking about like someone like Kiki Rice, this you know Gatorade player of the year, or these up and coming players watching and seeing a tournament this year that looks different than any other year for the first year ever as absurd as it is the women get to be using march madness as a you know as a, a label for what's happening in the tournament there's an expanded field there was a first four that we got to watch what else would you like to see where we, we've made some good adjustments what's what what would could we still do to make this more equitable um, I mean, I think the lesson we've learned with Sedona Prince posting that video is never be quiet. You know, I think a lot of times, and I'm sure it's similar for you, Sarah, it's like, after a while you can kind of, I know I go home at night sometimes and I'm like, am I complaining a lot? Like, I don't want to be the complainer. <laughs> mm -hmm. I want to be the complainer all the time when you're just, all you're really doing is pointing things out. But it's like, it's a, it's like a heavy burden to, to bear. But at the same time, had she not posted that? none of this would have happened. None of this change would have occurred. So I think it's just a lesson for all of us. Like when you see something, you have to say it, you have to bring it to the table, even if it feels 
like you're being a little bit of a nag. It's like nag away because that's how the change happens. But then how do you find balance? Like uh, one of the things Sarah and I talk a lot about on the show is it's so difficult to be an incredible female athlete because you don't just get to be a woman that's an athlete. You also have to be a woman that's an advocate. Like how do you find the balance and, and when does that end? It doesn't. Um, I think what what I try to remember is the you know, like I said, it's a little bit of a burden. It can be heavy at times. And I think what I try to remember is like, I'm doing it now. So the next generation doesn't have to, and then so on and so forth. So you hope, I always joke, this is like my big joke that I hope I'm that disgruntled older player that when a WNBA player signs a million dollar deal, I'm like, I didn't get that. But that means I, I help. That means I- Oh, like Megan? Oh, like Megan when she was like, <laughs> hey, Trinity Rodman, you're yeah. welcome on that million dollar deal for all the work I've been doing. Exactly. But it's it's like all in good fun in a way because you know you 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 played a role and you helped. Yeah. Sue Bird is with us here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking about the Gatorade Player of the Year honor, uh, National Player of the Year going to Kiki Rice and also about March Madness, which is underway. I'm sure you guys are listening while you're watching. Um, you talk about setting things up for the next generation. You have done more than enough at the WNBA level already in changing the game, bringing attention, talking about the issues that matter most, especially in really thoughtful and premeditated ways alongside the rest of your WNBA cohorts. You're back for another season uh, at 41. 41. God, I love it so much. I love it when there's people that are like our age that are still doing it. What's the priority for you other than obviously winning? Yeah, I think just enjoying. I mean, I think when I've like famously said, I never was going to announce before a season that it was going to be, you know, maybe my last because I didn't want that pressure. I didn't want the narrative to like just constantly be about me. Somehow I stumbled into this. The fans chanted one more year and here we are. <laughs> Um, so I think, I think when you're this person in this seat, um, it could be really easy to have every day, have a lot of highs and lows, like every lot, like, let's say we play in Chicago and it's my last time playing in Chicago and we lose. Oh, is that my memory of, of playing in Chicago? Like, no, That's it's hard. not. Yeah. Like, you know, if, if we win the championship, of course I would love to walk off into, you know, but only one team wins out of 12. So there's the odds are against me. So it's like, if everything doesn't go perfectly this season, I'm not going to let that dictate an entire career, you know? So I really just want to enjoy it. I want to share it with my team, with the fans and, and try not to let those types of moments like dictate anything. It seems like right now in the college game, there's more talent in women's basketball than ever. And that's going to rise into the WNBA. So as you reach nearer the end of your career, Sarah said it never has to end, but as you reach <laughs> nearer the end, what do you think the biggest challenge facing the WNBA for the next five years is going to be? Um, I mean, sadly, all the same challenges we've probably had in the last five years. Um, although you can tell that things are turning the corner. Um, what I see like from a basketball standpoint is there, there is some crazy talent. I mean, we're talking about Kiki Rice right now. Like you watch her highlights it's insane how some of these kids and, and they have trainers and they're working on their game. But one thing I'm noticing, this isn't about Kiki per se. One thing I'm noticing is they're not really playing like within the team framework. So it's like, I think women's basketball is starting to get a little more one-on-one. -on -one. And so there's going to have to be like this balance found between having these like, except, I mean, you know how kids talk about things in their bags. So they've got these yeah. bags, there's things in them, they're pulling them out. So having <laughs> your bag and being able to, to use those but also like being able to play within a team framework. I think when you have a combination like that, that's the best product on the floor.
And we know that so many fans now, or what we call fluid fans, shout out to Angela Gero and the uh, fan project, uh, they're really identifying with individual players. And then also the teams that are within their region, or maybe not even in their region, they like a team because they like a player. And that's going to help the women's game a ton to have these like mixtapes and highlights and these players like Paige or AZ that we've been watching for years before they even get to the college or professional level, because you identify those fans so much younger, and then they follow them along their journey. And they, and they, it doesn't require that same sort of um, uh, nostalgia of a, of a league that's been around longer than the WNBA or the sort of pride in your school that happens with college. We need that at the professional level, those attachments, and that starts a lot earlier now, which is great. Uh, we got to let you go. Do you got a prediction for the women's bracket? Who you got winning it all? You already know. All right, fine. I was trying to trick you into <laughs> giving us some bulletin board material. Sue, we love you. I can't wait to uh, talk smack to you when you come to Chicago this season. <laughs> thanks for having me guys <laughs> i say that but like i feel like i'll be in sue's presence and i'll find myself cheering against the sky somehow it's a problem that i'm gonna need to reconcile before that game comes around <laughs> it's spain and fits we got lots to talk about with Devonte adams to fits as raiders but Woo! we also got to update you on the ncaa tournament and the britney griner story it's coming up next spain and fits on espn radio the espn app and sirius xm channel 80 Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We'll get to the NCAA scores in just a second, but before we do that, I want to get you updated on the Brittany Griner story. Russian media has reported that the detention of WNBA star Brittany Griner was extended until May 19th, a development mm. that could see the two-time Olympic champion being held for at least three months before her case is resolved. U.S. State Department official tells T.J. Quinn uh, that uh, they've not... Sorry, they have not had access to her. The quote, we insist the Russian government provide consular access to all U.S. citizen detainees in Russia, including those in pretrial detention, as Brittany Griner is. Uh, we do know that a source close to Griner has said, quote, we know she's OK because of the updates her family and reps are giving her from the team, her team of Russian attorneys who visit her frequently. This is the quote that I think stings, though, Sarah, you hear, quote, I wouldn't say she's good. But she's okay, the source says. I don't know what else you would expect in this situation, but this is a heartbreaking situation and another new development. Yeah, and just want to remind people who are complaining about a lack of coverage that is intentional at this point. Of course, we want to keep eyes on it, and many people are working behind the scenes, but there's a real concern that this becomes political if it gets too much attention instead of a criminal case. And she is much better off going through Russian courts than she is being made an example of as a LGBTQ out black American woman. Uh, nothing about this is simple, and everybody tries to make things simple. So I just, uh, to your point, Sarah, I want to remind everybody that complex issues deserve complex analysis. So uh, mm -hmm. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Much less complex than that is the NCAA tournament, which is going on right now. And brackets are in peril, or at least everybody's puckered up because New Mexico State right now is on top of UConn. That's a 12 over a 5, currently 40 to 33 uh, that's in the second half. And then also, shockingly, St. Peter's and number two seed Kentucky <laughs> are tied at the half. So I feel like everybody's a little bit nervous about this one. Kentucky uh, are, were at, at the half on, a, I believe, after or at the start of the second half, riding a two minute and 39 second scoring drought. They only shot 29% from beyond the arc in the first half, while the Peacocks shot 56% from three. 
Uh, also, somehow St. Peter's got their second, third, and fourth best scores in foul trouble early, only played them a combined about 1530 and still kept up. That one is going to be very interesting to keep an eye on. Also of note, UConn scored 22 points in the first half of that game with New Mexico State. I mean, talk about a terrible basketball game. I didn't see a minute of it because we've been hosting this, but 22 points in the half, woof. Yeah, that's one of those moments for a UConn team that I think a lot of people sort of look at and you side-eye and you say, you know what, UConn, you never know. Maybe this could be – no, I mean, you can't come out with a 22-point first half and feel good about where your team is. Also, we did mention in the first hour the inconsistencies – of the Big Ten. I won't say that this is an upset in any way, shape, or form, but Indiana, that was a very inconsistent team this year, is being more the consistent bad version of themselves. They're getting uh-huh. beat by St. Mary's 40-28 to 28 right now. St. Mary's is probably a little better than people expected. I think Indiana's a little worse than people think, so I'm not surprised by that, but it does speak again to a lot of Big, 12, or Big Ten teams got into the tournament. That doesn't mean that a lot of the Big Ten teams are actually good in the tournament. It's Spain and Fitz here, Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. I heard Courtney Cronin, and I can't remember who she was hosting with earlier today, but they were kind of talking about how March Madness and the NCAA tourney has lost a little luster. Do you think that's the case? I mean, I certainly understand that, you know, there's there's not the big names like the Zion Williamson year or things like that, but um, I still feel like between the gambling and the and the content and how much the women's game is getting more love it still seems pretty big to me I I was surprised that they said that yeah I don't feel like it's necessarily lost its luster at all for me I think you know especially as you start to have everybody back in in arenas and just feels like it it feels like one of those magical years Uh, this is the wildest year I can remember in college basketball week in and week out and there isn't a dominant team like we've seen in the past that we can look at it and say, well, there's the person that's or the team that's going to make it. So I think it's a yeah. wildly unpredictable year that's going to make for an incredible Final Four. The question is, will these big brands survive? Because if they don't, we all know that that generally leads to less interest. So yeah. uh, we'll see how that plays forward. In the meantime, obviously, we will keep you updated on all the scores as they happen, as we get more NCAA news. But coming up, Leah Thomas becomes the first transgender athlete to win a D1 title today. Today, we'll speak to an expert about the reaction. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. First full day of men's March Madness underway. We're keeping an eye on St. Peter's in Kentucky. Very tight. We're also keeping an eye on New Mexico State, which is leading UConn right now, 45-38 in the second. Earlier today, Gonzaga really tight for a while there. The end score didn't show you how close it was with Georgia State, but we asked you all earlier why you hate Gonzaga. It feels like a lot of haters in my mentions about Gonzaga at Connor Grant 31 said because they don't play anyone in the regular season. They're in a weak conference. They end up winning almost every game. They get a top seed because they don't play tough competition. They end up losing the tournament. They're so incredibly overrated every single year. Tell us how you really feel, Connor. Also, a lot of people were just mad that the spread was 22 and a half and they won by 21. Uh, that That's a good enough reason to yep. make you mad. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We'll get back to tourney talk. Also, Fitz's Raiders getting Devontae Adams, the big breaking news during the show. 
But another big piece of news occurred today. Amid protests, Pennsylvania swimmer Leah Thomas became the first known transgender athlete to win a Division I national championship. We've been following the story of Thomas, a transgender woman swimming for UPenn, um, setting records and competing all year. And Katie Barnes has done a fantastic job reporting on this ESPN feature writer who joins us now. Katie, thanks for the time. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Let's talk about the story, in case people aren't caught up, about how it almost didn't happen that Leah would compete at the NCAAs. Can you explain why there was a question of whether she'd be there? Yeah, amid some of the outcry that happened after uh, Leah performed so well at the Zippy Invitational in December, uh, there was a bit of change in policies. And so on January 19th, the NCAA announced that it would be amending its previous policy to then pivot to whatever the national governing bodies were going to do around transgender participation eligibility. And for swimming, that's USA Swimming. Then the question became, what's USA Swimming's policy? And they updated their policy in such a way that it looks like Leah Thomas would not be eligible. But the NCAA then decided, just kidding, for our 2022 Women's Swimming and Diving Championships, we're not going to be using the new USA Swimming policy and instead any transgender athlete who wants to be eligible in the women's category, they just need to comply with our previous policy of 12 months of testosterone suppression and submit a one-time testosterone serum level under 10 nanomoles per liter. So what has the reaction been from all of the competitors at this process? So you know, we haven't heard from very many competitors uh, that, have, that are swimming head-to-head against Leah. So Brooke Forty from Stanford has come out and said that she respects Leah um, and is happy to swim next to her. Uh, Erica Sullivan, who's a freshman at the University of Texas, has also said, you know, that she feels badly for Leah because of all the attention that she's getting, but that, you know, she welcomes the competition as well. Um, And then, of course, Yale's Isaac Hennig, who is also transgender. He's a transgender man um, who's competing in the women's category because he has not started hormone therapy. Uh, He is also here, and he has also expressed support for Leah. Um, But other than that, you know, we're just sort of reading between the lines. You know, it's about how's the crowd responding, how are the competitors responding, and there haven't been necessarily overt signs of discontent from the crowd, although it has been noticeably quiet when Leah finishes, when her name is called. There was one instance earlier today uh, where uh, ahead of the prelim uh, heat of Leah's, you know, somebody from the stands yelled, cheater. Uh, So there have been certain things like that. Of course, the protests going on outside, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But from her competitors, there hasn't been, you know, any kind of overt jeering or um, anything that would give away what a competitor might feel. Yeah, let's talk quickly. And I know you did a fantastic job on ESPN Daily with Pablo Torre. And I would tell people to to listen to that ESPN Daily to get a really in-depth conversation that we just don't have the time for here. Uh, But you mentioned there was an expectation for dissent from protesters and otherwise. Uh, What did you see at the competition today? Yeah, so, uh, you know, there were a couple of organizations present. One, Save Women's Sports. Um, which has been active in the ongoing discussion around transgender inclusion and women's sports. Uh, they are not in favor. Um, and then also Concerned Women for America. They had a student chapter here um, as well. And so that, you know, that effort together is a couple dozen. Um, you know, State Representative Barbara Ehart, uh, who uh, authored the first um, the bill that would the first bill that became law um, that restricted transgender athlete participation at the youth level. She flew in from Idaho to also show up at this protest. So there was that group of about two dozen folks uh, who had a press conference. They were very vocal, very loud, handing out stickers, handing out pom-poms. 
um, and interacting with the crowd. You know, there are a lot of fans and spectators and parents uh, and some swimmers and teammates who were receptive um, and who were interacting with them. That you can you can see the stickers among the spectators here. Um, and then in addition to that, uh, there was also a small counter protest uh, across the way of about a dozen Georgia Tech students uh, from uh, the local LGBTQ organizations at the college uh, who were expressing support for Leah as well. Katie, you mentioned the that small group. Is there a large national group that is advocating for Leah at this point? Uh, you know, all of the major national LGBTQ organizations have come out and you know shared their support. Whether we're talking about HRC, the Human Rights Campaign, or GLAD, or GLSEN, or the National Center for Transgender Equality, all of the big LGBT advocacy organizations have expressed their support for Leah in one way or another. Uh, they're definitely behind her, but there is not a notable national presence here from any of those organizations. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Katie Barnes, ESPN feature writer. Follow them at Katie underscore Barnes three for the best coverage on Leah Thomas all season long. You know, Katie, we talked to you during um, the Ivy League championship portion of Leah's competitions. And just to repeat the things that we often should and maybe remind people, transgender people don't make the decision to transition to win at sports uh there is a whole lot of work and time and and it is about their identity and not about trying to beat women at sports uh we're still at the information gathering stage scientifically um and at the core this conversation really can't occur fairly without us all accepting that trans women are women and then being able to get into the nuance that i know you mentioned on dspn daily that um Nancy Hogshead Makar, who's one of the people leading the charge to try to um, prevent Leah from competing and to prevent transgender women from competing, said to you that she sees transgender women as women in employment and in the treatment by society, but that there, when it comes to anatomical or scientific reasons, she is unwilling to accept that in terms of sports. What's the response from LGBTQ plus uh, folks and those who champion transgender women competing to that statement? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for LGBTQ folks and for advocates of transgender inclusion, you know, the, the simple response that they often say is that, well, transgender women are women, and therefore they should be eligible to compete in women's category. That's something that Leah herself has said in an interview with Sports Illustrated, um, that she belongs in the women's category because she is a woman. And I think there's a fundamental tension between how people see this issue, how they see transgender people, how they understand the science, which I know we don't have time to get into, but it's a very complicated and nuanced issue. And I think it's always important to name that um, because, you know, a lot of, I think, what happens is, you know, our assumptions and our understandings around gender and sex, what we believe to be true and the values we hold often drive our opinions on this subject. Um, and it can be really hard to kind of break down some of those things and engage in a really nuanced way. And I think a lot of people are really struggling to do that on all sides of this issue. Katie, it feels like everybody on all sides of these issues at times can just yell. So what's the next step in towards coming towards coming to some sort of resolution on all of this for everybody? Well, I mean, you know, when it comes to Leah's collegiate swimming career, you know, this is it. Um, and I think oftentimes what happens with high-profile transgender athletes, there's a ton of energy and a sort of outrage and criticism and then also praise uh, from certain communities, and it all kind of happens right in a flash. And then they disappear after their career is over, and it's kind of on to the next controversy, if and when there is one. 
And you know, Leah Thomas has said that she is interested in continuing her swimming career, that she would like to swim in the 2024 Olympic trials. You know, all of those things are maybes. We don't know what her career is going to look like moving forward. Um, but certainly for this week, it's definitely a culmination of a lot of the tension that has been felt across the country during this swimming season. And, you know, a lot of people have been asking, like, what's going to happen? And you know, in the next three days, we're going to get our answers. Yeah, she has a couple more races, does Leah Thomas. Katie Barnes, ESPN feature writer with us here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I wish we had more time to talk to you because there's some fascinating conversations to be had about anatomical advantages, whether they're Michael Phelps or Leah Thomas's and when they're quote-unquote fair and when we accept them, and also how difficult this conversation becomes the better the performer and the higher the level of conversation, a uh, higher the level of the competition, because I do think that um, there are some really difficult parts about this you know, NCAA, Olympic and beyond. But unfortunately, they trickle down to policy that affects youth sports, where the conversation is very different and people seem not to understand all the, all the nuance that goes into inclusion at that level and, you know, uh, testosterone-aided uh, uh, puberty and all the other stuff. Um, it's just, it's, it's really complicated, and I'm so glad that we have you here at ESPN to walk us through it and to continue to uh, educate us. Uh, thanks so much for the time. And again, everybody go listen to Katie on ESPN Daily as well. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Katie. Oh, thanks for having me. Katie Barnes, again, follow them at Katie underscore Barnes three on Twitter. Um, just excellent reporting throughout and so much education still yet to be done. This is really the uh, early frontier of our conversations around transgender and, and athletes. And um, we're doing our best. Everybody is Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Not everybody is. That's not right. Not everybody is doing their best, but most yeah. of us are trying. Uh, we got to continue to break down this Devontae Adams news and what it means for the AFC West and for the Packers. It's next. And you thought March Madness was going to be the biggest story of the sports day. No, you were wrong because this is the season of the NFL. Every season is now the season of the NFL. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, the NCAA tournament. We'll get there in a second. Or they're here. That means the wooden Wendy's wooden watch has begun. Go to ESPN.com. Search wooden watch for the list of the wooden award nominees to watch as this season rolls on. Brought to you by Wendy's Breakfast, the official breakfast of March Madness, the big Huge, massive, incredible breaking news across the NFL tonight is that I will not have to sit on any sort of an ESPN platform the first night of the NFL draft and look at a camera trying to figure out what to break down about some first-round pick that shouldn't have been a first-round pick by my beloved Raiders because they no longer have a pick in the first round or the second round, sir. I'm going to get the first two rounds off of looking like a fool on TV because the Raiders have traded those picks for one Devontae Adams from the Green Bay Packers. According to reports, it's a contract extension that will put him in the vicinity of $28.25 million per year. And the Raiders go from, uh, what, what is this, uh, minus 1,100 odds to plus seven, or sorry, Plus, they were plus 1,100 odds, good that I could speak, to plus 700 odds at this point. Their Super Bowl odds go skyrocketing from Devontae being added. Still the fourth best in the division, but Sarah, they have made themselves far more competitive <laughs> with a massive move. I am not going to judge because my team uh, is confusing and, and trash, but it is kind of funny that you're so excited. And at the end of that, you still have to say, okay, still the fourth best in the division, not in the league, in the not in the conference, in the division. Uh, I think that this might go up there as one of the shows where you and I have had to power through the most because we were in the midst of, of, of having a guest about to join us when this news broke and you had to settle yourself down and, and engage in that interview. 
Uh, I accidentally took the lid off my water bottle and then dumped the entire water bottle onto me just now during the commercial break mm -hmm. and then got slightly electrocuted by the radio unit that I'm using as a result of being covered in water and trying to host a radio show. I also was trying to find some stats on how the Kentucky game was going, and I searched Kentucky on Twitter, and about six or seven tweets down was just a male genitalia while I was trying to talk on the air. Um I think all in all, I'm very impressed with us tonight is all I'm trying to say is that I would imagine the folks listening at home have had no idea that you were simultaneously trying to cut clips about the Raiders getting Devontae while we're on the air and I was navigating water bottles and genitals. We are ever the professionals on this show. Yeah. And by the way, you know, I will say this uh, with the Raiders being the fourth best Super Bowl odds in their division. I would argue that at this time a year ago, it was pretty clear that the Raiders were the fourth best roster in their division then. And they went to the playoffs. The The Chargers right. didn't. The Broncos didn't. So all you can do as a team, you you got two choices when you're playing against Patrick Mahomes. Uh, you know, and you're playing against a now just Jack Chargers lineup and the Broncos go out and get Russ on top of a, a roster that looked really good. If you're looking across the board, you're either deciding you're going to go into full rebuild mode or you're going to look around and get the best of what you can get to be the best version of the team that you can possibly be. That's obviously what the Raiders have decided to do, not just with this, but obviously Chandler Jones uh, being signed a couple of days ago. Like They give themselves two guys that can get after the passer, and they give themselves a much more dynamic offense. So I'm not saying that the path is easy, but there is no – I don't think anybody's looking at it right now saying, oh, yeah, the Raiders, that's going to be a really easy game on our schedule, and that's no. all you can ask for going into the season. Yeah, I mean, you do have to be concerned about them beating the absolute you-know-what out of each other all regular season long. I mean, you're not going to have an easy – I mean, think about Aaron Rodgers and the Packers the last couple years when they're like, oh, good, a division game, <laughs> right? I mean, the Vikings <laughs> made him work a little – a couple times over the last few years, the Bears have been decent enough to make the playoffs. But, I mean, the difference between getting to face the Lions, Bears, and Vikings every week versus what's going to be happening in the AFC West week after week, regardless of your opponent, is absolutely wild. Uh, by the way, speaking of the Packers, I am enjoying this. <laughs> I, I bet really, you are. I really, I really am enjoying this. I'm not going to go so far as to think my team has a chance right now. I still have a lot of hope for Justin Fields in the future. I just am like, okay, Aaron Rodgers comes back. All of this money. Who is he going to throw to? He's thrown 68 career touchdown passes to Devonta Adams, the most of any duo in franchise history, okay? 68 of them. After that, you know, you got Jordy Nelson, you got Brett Favre and Antonio Freeman back in the day. But they, this was his guy. This was his go-to. This was the safety valve. This was also one of his friends on the team who, by the way, as it turns out, per the reporting that we're now getting, was offered the same amount of money by the Packers and wanted to go elsewhere. I don't know if that says anything about that friendship or it's just, hey, I want to be in Vegas. That's more fun than Green Bay or whatever it is. But man, they've got these picks now. What are they going to do with them? As Kevin Clark joked, if they use this pick to get a quarterback, I know they won't. They've got Jordan Love. They've got Aaron Rodgers. But man, I mean, they haven't drafted a running back, a wide receiver, or a tight end of the first round since oh. Two, 19 straight drafts. They get one of the best in the league, and they and they don't do enough to keep him. I can say they let him walk, but they don't do enough to keep him. Yeah, and Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I, I will say, you know, there's a lot of logic to drafting a wide receiver, and I'll be very transparent. I've said that repeatedly 
on different radio shows over the last three weeks. Like, you can get so much value at the wide receiver position in the first and second rounds. I understand completely why a team would choose not to pay a wide receiver. There are a few people that are sort of exceptions to the rule, kind of like they say, don't pay running backs unless all of a sudden you pay Derrick Henry and it works out. Like, it doesn't always work out, but you've got to look at it and say, do I have an exception to the rule? I think if you're Devontae Adams and you're looking at it, yes, 29-year-old wide receiver, as Bill Barnwell points out, but you're also looking at it saying, okay, uh, look at the Raiders' offense last year early in the season when Henry Ruggs was able to have to be accounted for. And because of Henry Ruggs being accounted for, Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro found themselves open all the time. And I remember Mina texting me early in the season and saying, my God, this Raiders offense is actually a lot of fun to watch. And I'm thinking, yes. And then obviously for things far bigger than a football field, Henry Ruggs no longer part of the team. Now you look at it and say, okay, if you're a defensive coordinator and you're coming in saying, we're going to take away Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, and Devontae Adams, like that's not... Likely, this is the closest thing that the Raiders could have done to put themselves in the same type of conversation as, oh, I've got a Tyreek Hill and in the, and I've got a Travis Kelsey. Like, you've got to give yourself multiple things that have to be accounted for. And Josh McDaniels, supposedly the offensive wondermind, comes in and he gets all sorts of... Wonderkind? Wonderkind yeah, wonderkind. Or wondermind? Brilliant mind. I don't think mind. he's young enough. I don't think he's young enough to be a wonderkind and wondermind no. isn't a he's thing. Like, he's like, like, what, 40? Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, wonderkind is like... Uh, not even oh. Sean McVay anymore. Uh, oh, you're, well, we're talking, it's... yeah. Uh, either way, you're right. And sometimes those that that major money and those deals that might not look good on the books in a couple of years kind of have to be done. And if you have a team that's competing like the Raiders have, you need to step up with the Broncos, the Chargers, and the Chiefs doing what they're doing. Um, just real quick, because again, I'm really enjoying this. Uh, I just got to, I just got this out. Dan Graziano tweeted, "Rogers, so you'll be including me in discussions on major roster decisions from now on." Gudekunst, yeah, I'm immunized. <laughs> just perfect oh my god just perfect uh again it does according to reports rogers knew this was going to be the case Devonta adams would not be on the team when he signed that deal which again i'm very interested to see uh what that says about aaron Rodgers and how much it matters to him to win I think that's such a smart point, Sarah, because it points out, like, if he signed this deal knowing that Devontae wasn't going to be around and then also complains about any portion of not getting the weapons he needs, you got to look in the mirror and say, okay, you had to know. Except and it they did ins- offer the same. I guess right. they offered him the same, and he chose the Raiders. So it's it, you can't necessarily say it's his contract, but you do have to wonder the priorities if that's where he decided to stick around and, and the weapons are gone.